1: Put the spring back into your step and into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply.
2: Now at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX.
3: Happy Father's Day weekend to all you fathers. And thanks to everybody for stopping by. We'll be taking the good gardening stroll shortly. But right now, if you have any questions, concerns, or comments about your landscape, your houseplants, your lawn, your trees, shrubs, whatever, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. It is Saturday morning, and we get together and have a discussion about what's going on in your yard. And, uh, man... The bugs are really starting to show up and everything else. Somebody sent me a picture of their house plant. It was Shaflera. They didn't know what it was, but I named it for them. And they said the leaves are sticky, and there's always damp, wet, sticky stuff underneath. They didn't look close enough because they had aphids all over it. So the aphids were causing the problem. So that's just one of the things that could be happening to you. How about uh, other things like diseases? Oh, with this humidity being so outrageous, we could start having some disease problems show up really quickly. And some of the de- diseases are just more aesthetic. Other ones are like, uh-oh, you got that disease? <sighs> it's it. This is your show, by the way, and I appreciate you inviting me into your car, home, or wherever you happen to be listening. Another very important player is James. He produces, so he answers the phone as well as pushes all the buttons. I'm Mike Miller. I've been hosting the Garden Hotline since 1994. I come to homes. I go to homes and do landscape consultations, which I call walk-and-talks. Today, after the show, I'm headed out to, where is it? Chesterfield off Olive and Riverbend. Anyway, what you can do is go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com. On the homepage, there's my email address and phone number where I can be reached. Well, let's get moving. Today's stroll is brought to you by St. Louis Composting. 636-861-3344. As I looked up in the sky, three-quarter moon in the southern sky. Air was much lighter than the last few days. And the sign in front, this was Warner School. Have a great summer. So across the front of the building, Dutch white clover mingles with all kinds of other green things. A banner from character.org it says 2022 to 2027 announces Warner School is a state school of character. I don't know exactly what that is, but I thought that was kind of cool. And uh, this school fills a whole block between Leona and Federer and Bowen. And along the way, there's an American flag retirement box. So if you have an American flag that's gotten kind of beat up and you want to re- have it retired, you can put it in this box and it'll be put together or put to sleep properly. Across the landscape in the front, sweet gums, magnolias, oaks mingle together. There's soccer nets. There's volleyball nets in the front, too. Upright junipers all covered with blueberries and uh, neatly pruned ewes. The school's architecture is really a classic for, you know from my perspective. It was built in 1931, and the architect was Ernest. Frighten or fright F-R-I-T-O-N. And across the building and across the <laughs> landscape and everything else, squirrels, robins, and all kinds of other birds are saying, hey, what's going on here? What are you doing here? There's numerous picnic tables that say, sit down and have a seat and just relax. A gazebo is embraced by boxwood. And there's a raised bed community where strawberries are just cascading out over the raised bed of the individual plot. I think there's nine different plots there. There's also yellow-flowered cannas in there. There's uh, other benches, metal benches as well. And there's a little caterpillar that you can (laughs) crawl through, and it says, oh, yeah, it's got a big tongue and everything else. And around these uh, little community garden raised bed things, uh, there's river birches and uh, a pine tree. And what that does is transition between the green of the landscape in front of the building and the asphalt that goes around the sides and the back. And I kept hearing these robins chirping, and I finally realized the robins were saying, hey, it's time for you to go. We're tired of you being around here. It's too early for people to be here. Except there were people out walking. There were people out walking their dogs. And it was just a nice morning to be outside. So, again, 314 436 7900 or 1 800 925 1120. Let's go ahead and take a call. Let's go to John. Hi, John.
4: Hi, John. Uh, Mike. Yes. Uh, this is John. And I have a quickie question. I have a sunset maple in front. And it was planted about 20 years ago. And the top of the tree has no leaves. In other words, it's everything under it is beautiful but there's no leaves on top. What do you recommend?
3: Oh, I'd recommend having a tree service come out and take a look at it and find out what the problem is. Cuz a 20-year-old tree shouldn't be having this, you know, this circumstance. So, there's some, you know, either physical or some kind of, you know, fungal problem that's causing the f- trouble. But maples are usually pretty much free of that kind of situation. That's why you need to have a professional come out and take a look.
5: Okay, we'll do that. Thanks, Mike, for sure. your program.
3: My pleasure. And now let's get another call before we go to break. Let's go to Mike. Hi, Mike.
6: Hi, Mike. How are you doing this morning? Very good. I have some roses that I pruned, pruned about two months ago, and the blooming stopped. There's no blooms. Uh,
3: what, what's going on?
6: I have no idea. I fertilized it with uh, rose food about two months ago, and there's no buds and no blooms.
3: But it's got foliage. Yes sir. So it's just a you know whatever sequence it is I'm assuming if you pruned two months ago it did they didn't have any flowers back then did they?
6: Well, they did and then they came a little bit came back and now it needs to be all the spent flowers are still there but there's no fresh buds anywhere.
3: Okay, we'll cut off all the spent flowers. And it's just going to be a matter of time. Do you know, are these the classic shrub-type roses, like the knockouts, or are this traditional roses like hybrid teas and grandifloras?
6: No, you're right. It's the knockout roses. But, but, Mike, when I trim them, how far back do I trim them? Just the stem of the flower?
3: Yeah, you can do that much, or you can cut You know, to the second leaflets. So, in other words, right past the flower, there's one set of leaflets, usually three, and then the second one with three leaflets. Cut it back to that point.
7: Perfect. Okay, that's what I'll do then.
3: All right. You're doing everything good. You're watering, you're fertilizing, and everything else, so it's just a matter of, you know, got out of sequence a little bit.
6: Okay. Thank you. Thank you for everything. Appreciate it.
3: My pleasure. And 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Phone lines open, and we'll be back after these messages.
2: All the news and all that matters to you. The voice of St. Louis, KMOX.
3: Yes, folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Just make sure that you're not cutting your grass too short because cutting your grass too short exposes the crown, so the crown is sort of like the brains of the grass blade in a way. It's where the blades and the root system meet, and that's where all the new growth begins. If you cut it too short, then it exposes it to some of this intense sunlight, and if it's along your driveway or sidewalks or things like that, it's a lot hotter, too, and it's going to cause problems for your lawn. So raise your mower blade up to about three and a half to 4 inches. And it's not going to make it so you have to mow anymore. You can just let it uh, leave it alone. And as far as bagging versus mulching, I mean, it's up to you. It's personal choice. But if you do cut and you see a bunch of grass blades behind you after, you after you run over with that particular section with your mower, then you should be bagging it. So in other words, it got too long and you're getting out there. So anyway, let's go now over to Kathy's yard. Hi, Kathy. Hi, Mike. Uh,
8: first of all, I want to thank you for your service. I've listened to you for years, and you're great. Well, thanks. Uh, I have
9: a problem with um, some starts of wild honeysuckle in my landscaping, which is on a hillside. Uh, the honeysuckle is about three foot tall. I would love to have it dug out, but I don't know if the roots would be too, uh, too deep. Could you give me some advice on how to get rid of that?
3: Uh, are you opposed to herbicides? No. Okay, so then what you need to do is go and just get uh get Roundup for killing woody plants. It'll say poison ivy killer and woody plant killer, and okay, basically, I don't know how big you know how steep this hillside is. Do you feel comfortable standing on the hillside? Well, I'd have to have
9: someone else do it for me. Okay. You, you were out here years ago. I, I was your first Holiday Shores customer. I don't know if, that, oh. if you remember me, but it's pretty pretty steep hill.
3: Right. So in other words, they they can get in there if they're only three feet high. They can probably dig a bunch of them. But if there are some that have bigger trunks coming up out of the ground and stuff, what they need to do is take this roundup for killing woody plants and paint it right onto. Uh, what they need to do is cut the stem at a forty-five degree angle and then paint the roundup right into that open wound that they just cut. Okay. All right. That sounds great.
8: Well, thanks so much, Mike. I appreciate it.
3: Sure. And the whole concept behind that is Roundup's absorbed into the vascular system of the plant. and goes down and not only kills the above-ground growth, but it also kills the below-ground growth.
8: Okay, great.
3: Okay, well, thanks so much. I appreciate it. Sure, my pleasure. And now let's go from Kathy's to another Kathy. Hi, Kathy. Oh, good morning.
9: I got on quick. Um, I have two questions. I have um, a Phlox, which is the long outside of you know the tall flocks they get purple flowers and on the bottom of them every year uh they start to get brown like they've been burnt or something and i did do a pre uh bug thing on them in the spring you know to kind of get the sorrel so it's not uh infected but every year it's the same thing with these flowers and i don't know why this is happening
3: so they they are flowering basically. Well, the
9: flowers are on there, but they're not blooming yet. But down the bottom, the green leaves turn brown. They just all of them turn brown.
3: So how long have like they been, been in this the, doing this thing and in this situ- growing in this location? Well,
9: I have them in another spot too, and they do the same thing. So I don't know if it's just a flower. Um, I, I don't know. It's like they're burnt on the bottom. The leaves, and I finally get flowers, but it's they, not very appealing.
3: Well, a lot of times, what happens with that with the tall flocks is once they flower, the the let's say the foliage starts going downhill. Usually, not that much ahead of time. Be the flowering. Usually, it's once the flowers start opening, that's when it starts going. You know, let's say downhill. So, oh. as long as you're, t- you know, if if everything is as good as it possibly can be, the best thing you can do is just. If you really don't like this, it's just you're going to have to figure a different plant to be, you know, growing in that location.
9: Yeah, I, I just don't know because I, I didn't over-fertilize or anything because, you know, they don't really need much fertilizer. Right. And so I, I don't know. Okay, well, uh, <laughs> yeah, they're not very appealing. Right. Okay, so my other question is I bought this uh, gardenia plant, which it's a gardenia tree, and I I know they're difficult. So it's on my sun porch. And it gets the morning sun and, and afternoon too sometimes. Uh, but it, it's not blooming. It's got a lot of buds and it's, leaves are dropping and I check it and it's moist, the water you know, content. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. And I fertilized it. I changed it when I got into not too much of a bigger pot, but a little bigger pot. And I, you know, fertilized it just once. And uh, it's, it's about a month I've had it. So I don't know what's happening with this plant.
3: Basically, you you had a right. They're not easy to grow, and this, I mean, you're experiencing what you're going to experience with this gardenia in this in your location. Even you know, going growing gardenias, you know, in the botanical garden, they have you know, they're ups and down times, but they have them in a situation that's going to be a little bit more robust. Than what you do, you're do. You've done everything you possibly can. Now, when you do fertilize them, you should use an acid-based fertilizer like acid or something like that. Yeah, but yeah, I did. You know, so you're doing everything exactly you know as you can, or you should. But consequently, the result has not been disappointing. And you could get another one, and it's going to do probably the same thing.
9: Huh. Well, this is a tree, so right. I, a little pricey and I, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I understand. and I don't want to lose it. And I'm like, Oh, please. I had a plant one time. it did fairly well for oh, over a year and a half. I kept it in the house, even during the winter. And did, but then all of a sudden poop, it just went, you know, right. but this one is never really, used. it's not starting. It's got a lot of buds. And some of the leaves are getting uh, yellowy, you know, and I'm thinking, is it? but I keep it, you know, watered. it's says moist. Right. Oh, it's just moist. And I even spray, you know, spray in it to keep it, the leaves. But it's is in the sun. Is it too much sun?
3: No, it wouldn't be too much sun because okay. the way you okay. described it, it has sun in the morning and maybe some sun in the afternoon. So, no, uh-huh. if it was sitting okay. out on your patio and it was a hot. blazing hot sun all day long, then uh-huh. that would be a different circumstance. But the, what you described uh-huh. is not too much sun.
9: Well, I don't know if they they take it back. <laughs>
3: <laughs> the only thing is it may not be enough sun. So that would be, I don't know how many hours of direct sun it actually I have to I'll
9: have to watch and see. I know it gets the morning and in the afternoon, too, because the sun hits there all the time. Right. You know, that's why I put it there. And, uh yeah, just disappointing. Okay, well, I guess we can't do too much about that. Yeah. And oh, I'll let you go. But one more question: I have—they're uh, going to come and trim bushes, and I have the spirea bushes that are blooming beautifully, and I think they should not cut those right now.
3: I agree, because you're you're basically growing them yeah. for the aesthetics yeah. of the flowers. So if you cut right. the flowers off, even yeah, if you, they've only have another three or four weeks. Still, that's three or four weeks of flowers.
9: Right. So I just put a, I'll put a, they said I can put a tag on it. Don't cut, you know. Right. Yeah. I think they, they do not cut when they should be cutting. That's all I got to say. <laughs> Have no control
3: over there. Right. Okay.
9: Well, I appreciate your program. I call all the time. and I listen every morning. So get some knowledge. Okay. Oh, great. Thank you very much. Yeah. I just,
3: mm-hmm. I mean, this is a professional service coming out to do the pruning. You know, pruning in the heat like this, it's, I'd be mm-hmm. a little bit concerned that there could be some sunburn as a result of that. Because they're cutting off the uh, the leaves, yeah. the tips yeah. that have been used to this, you know, the intense the intensity of what our weather's been this spring. Right. But uh, then they're going to be exposing stems that maybe on that part they have been shaded by the parts that have been cut off. So I'd be yeah. a little bit cautious.
9: I know. Yeah. They, they have their. I, I don't know why they do it. Certain when they do. But anyway, we have to deal with that.
3: Right. Okay. Well, thanks again. Sure. My pleasure. Yeah, so bad luck with the flocks and gardenia, but it uh, sounds like you have quite a you know nice landscape. So good. Thank you, Kathy, for calling. And 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Phone lines open, so if you have questions or concerns, give us a call.
11: Find out what's happening with your Redbirds from the manager himself Oliver Marmol Sundays at 10:15 on Sports
7: Open Line and
11: Wednesday mornings at 9:50 The Ollie Marmol Show I'm excited for not only the club but for the fans this is a this is a special year for sure on KING
3: You hear me talking about submitting a soil sample all the time. So you can really find out what's going on in your landscape. What's going on in your neighbor's landscape doesn't really make that much difference to what's happening in your yard because you've probably both done different things over the years, or maybe you've inherited something because you've just recently moved in within the last few years. So what you need to do is when you take your sample, you're going to make sure that it's dry. So in other words, let it sit out in the open on a tray with newspaper or something like that the day before you're going to give the sample to the University of Missouri or wherever you're going to be taking the sample to to have it tested. If it's too wet, then it's going to cause problems and it's going to delay the service and everything else. And what you want to do is if you're taking a sample, let's say, of your lawn area, you want to take it in multiple locations in your lawn area. So just don't dig one big shovel full and put it into a Ziploc bag because that's about how much you want. It's about one and a half to two cups of soil. That's usually a sandwich Ziploc bag or a quart-sized bag. That should be adequate. And it's going to take about 10 to 14 days to get your results back. And if the soil is too wet, then it's going to mess it up again as far as the timing goes. And keep in mind, June is the really... February through June is the busiest time of year. So, you can probably submit a sample now. You can take them, you can submit them to the University of Missouri directly, or there's an extension office in St. Louis County on East Monroe and Kirkwood. You can take your sample there anytime Monday through Friday, 8:30 to 4:30. So, other locations and other labs, laborat- you know, soil sample laboratories and everything else, there's a bunch of them all over the metropolitan area, so you can go online. But again, Take your sample correctly if you want to get the results that you're anticipating. So let's now go over to Pat's yard. Hi, Pat.
6: Hey, Mr. Miller. This is a former MoBot mailman. How are you doing? Very good. So I have some vines that are really giving me a headache. These things are strong and invasive. And I could take a sample to the Kemper Center, but my hopes is that whoever's listening here can learn from our conversation because it seems to be everywhere now but these vines get about three inches in length and they love my fence. Seems like the only way to kill them is to uh, dig up the roots.
3: Are they evergreen? Are they herbaceous? Ah,
6: you know, I just delivered the mail. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, They they seem, uh, Roundup doesn't seem to affect them. Uh, When I trim them with my trimmer, it just makes them grow
3: better but they seem to be green year-round. Okay, it probably is a type of euonymus, like euonymus winter creeper. That can climb, it can run as a ground cover and everything else. But if you want really Roundup to work, you're going to have to use Roundup for killing woody plants. So in other words, one that kills poison ivy and other woody plants. And what what you should do is injure the foliage, like just take a shovel or whatever unless it's you don't want to hit your tree trunk if it's climbing up a tree trunk. But if it's climbing on a fence, just kind of bang it a little bit, and you're opening up wounds, and then apply the herbicide, the Roundup, to it at that point. But it's going to be a long, involved process for sure.
6: Yeah, okay. That's something I didn't do was use that particular type of herbicide. So I'll give that a shot.
3: Right. And again, open up those wounds. I'm pretty sure it might be. You know, it's probably a winter creeper. Just go online and look at it and, and find out if that's what it is. Because if it's evergreen, the leaf is kind of a oval shaped and about a, oh an inch to an inch and a quarter in size. And uh, as far as lengthwise, and it is extremely invasive and extremely difficult to get under control.
6: Mm. And it gets really big, and it swallows the fence. Um, yes,
3: right. I mean, it goes mm. and goes and goes and goes. I mean, if, you know, I had a home in Webster. I don't live there anymore. But uh, there was part of the yard that was had the, you know, Euanomous winter creeper as a ground cover. And that was great because <laughs> I lived along a creek, so it stabilized the bank of that creek. But, I mean, it was very good at doing that. But, boy, I wouldn't want it any other place.
6: No, no, not in a decorative area, at least. Right. Okay, well, thanks for taking the time to to be on our show today, and uh, talk to
3: you later. Sure, thank you. And now let's head over to Rich's yard. Hi, Rich.
11: Good morning, Mike. Good morning. I
12: received a gift of a hydrangea this week. It came all the way from California, and it came to my house in just wonderful shape. It was very carefully packed. The instructions say that uh, I had to soak it for a half hour, this, that, or the other thing. But I would like to put it in the ground. It is, it is made to be put in the ground. It's a hydrangea. It's covered with white flowers. Pot and all, it's about two foot tall and about a foot wide. I know that when I take it out of the pot and try to put it in the ground, it's going to be stressed. And this 102-degree weather we're having is going to make it even more stressed, right? Do you think I should wait and, and baby this thing along until fall, or just how should I go
11: about this?
3: Basically, what you should do is, you know, decide where you want to have it planted and make sure that this is location is going to give you the this individual variety of hydrangea, the exact exposure and everything else, and you just dig a hole in that location and put the pot down in the hole. And just leave it in the pot and make sure the the pot top, the top rim, is about an inch or two above the surrounding ground. And just grow it in this pot through the summertime. And then when we get to mid to late August, early September, that's when I would think about putting it in the ground. But to try to plant it, you know, with these extreme, you know, temperature-wise and everything else, you're looking at a disaster.
12: Oh. Hey. I, I really appreciate this. This is a special plant. It was a special gift, and this gives me confidence now that I'll be able to take care of it. Right.
3: So thank just, you very much. Well, sure. And hopefully, this plant has a tag on it with the exact variety of hydrangea it has. Go online to make sure that you're going to be putting it in the proper location before you dig the hole and drop the pot into the ground. I will do that. Thank you very much. Sure, my pleasure. You have a great day. You too. (laughs) Yeah, if you have any questions or concerns, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. We have phone lines open. I go to plenty of homes that have deer problems, and the the deer have really gotten used to people, let's put it that way. There's so often where the people will get up early in the morning and there's a deer on our front porch or there's a deer in our backyard or there's a couple deer that are just kind of sitting around. And so here are some of the plants that deer really don't bother unless they're just extremely, it's extremely horrible wintertime. Ginkgo trees, oak leaf hydrangea, gold thread branch cypress, hawthorns, American holly, junipers, paperbark birches, roses, shearin, Blue spruce, hypericum, witch hazel, and vitex. Those are some of the woody plants that they don't bother. Some of the bulbs that they don't bother bother: lycoris. That's the surprise lily. The flowering onions, the crocus, the glory of snow, snowdrops, scillas, hyacinths, grape hyacinths, the bulb type iris. Fritillaria and daffodils. So those are things that now if they're desperate, they're gonna eat pretty much anything. But these are things that are generally gonna be free of, you know, deer problems. And some of the annuals that they don't eat. Marigolds, Lantana, Globe Amaranth, Snapdragons, and Cleome. So there's and then uh next break or whenever I get around to it, I'll talk about some of the ground covers and perennials that the deer generally don't fool with. So right now, let's go over to Ruth's yard. Hi, Ruth.
8: Hello. Hi. I, I enjoy your program. Thank you. Uh, my azaleas are finished blooming. Is it okay to cut them back?
3: Now, what what, what plant was that? Azalea. Oh, your azaleas. You're not really going to be – you shouldn't really prune them unless you're desperate to prune them. There's no reason to prune. Pruning is something you can do to them, but it's not advisable.
8: Okay, that's fine with me. I just thought I should cut them back because they're finished booming now. They right. were beautiful.
3: So Well, you got lucky, and this was a perfect year for the azaleas just in general. And azaleas, you know, if the foliage color is good and everything else, then you're doing a really good job. So if you start to see any kind of yellow coloring coming on the leaf, then you've got to add get some iron sulfate and put that around the plant material. But you okay. know, kind of keep away from pruning them. Okay appreciate your program. Thank you very much. Well, sure. My pleasure. And 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Here's some of the sedums and ground covers. or Sedums. Here's some of the perennials and ground covers that the deer generally don't fool with. Sedum, vinca minor, creeping flocks. They don't like the milkweeds. They don't like columbine, coreopsis, globe thistle. Penicetum, purple clone flower, and the majority of the ferns, Russian sages, thyme, lamb's ear, ginger, wild ginger, Acanthus, Helleborus, and Semisofugus. So those are perennials and ground covers that the deer just kind of stay away from. But again, if they're desperate to get something to eat, then they're going to go after whatever there is. So 314 436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Back after these messages.
2: This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Hot music for the
3: weather. Yes, and the weather this past week was the first time this year that I've actually done some watering. And what I do is I have, you know, I live in the South City, don't, so I don't have a huge yard or anything else. But I put my sprinkler out in one location, and I run it in that location every, for an hour. And then I move it, you know, so I can make sure that I get my whole yard watered. And I do that hour uh, for watering That's because I probe around or I did when we first moved there and found out in an hour of watering that the penetration of the water down into the ground went down about uh, two inches or so. And that was, you know, adequate or that was a good amount for pretty much everything I grow, not even just a lawn, because it gets it waters, you know, the things I have in pots the things I have as ground covers and other plant materials too so that was that worked out really well as far as what I figured out to do now today when i finish you know doing my walk and talk in chesterfield i'm going to head home and i'm going to water the sedum ground covers and sweet alyssum and things that i have planted in between the sidewalk and street and i use soaker hoses on those because this is a narrow area so i put soaker hoses i run them up and down you know, this whole section, but I still run it for an hour, even though sedum, in theory, is supposed to be heat-tolerant. Yes, it is heat-tolerant, but I want it to get nice and moist, and then I won't have to water that again for probably a month or so. So that's And this is all done because the amount of rainfall we've had recently hasn't been adequate. So let's head over to Mary's yard now. Hi, Mary.
13: Hi. um, I have a question about a dwarf Alberta spruce. Uh Uh-huh. Um, it you know it rained so much this spring, and I did not know that they didn't like it that they like more of a dry soil, right, so I think it just about drowned and then by the time I noticed it, it was kind of late. it's got a lot of brown uh you know a lot of the branches have lost their um leaves or whatever you call it on an evergreen, but anyway, right. there's still a lot of green on it, so I moved it to a sunnier spot. I am really cut back on the water, and it's hanging in there, but I don't know. I know it's too hot to transplant it um, because it probably could use a better draining soil, but um, I also read it likes acid fertilizers, so I was wondering what you would
3: recommend. Definitely. If something's under stress, don't fertilize it because that's not really going to help it at all. And if the tips, you know, the new growth have turned brown, then, you know, it's, it's, it's under stress. They really don't like it here at all. I mean, you'll see some very successful ones, but there's been lots of them that have not made it as a result of that. I have three of them myself that I got uh, in the wintertime to put some seasonal color, you know, lighting and things like that. And right. uh, two out of the three don't look as good as the one does. And it's just a matter of, you know, they don't like <laughs> this weather. They don't like it here. And I right. don't, I don't do any additional watering to it. But like you said, the early season rainfalls and things like that, I have them in a pot, and then I have that pot in a bigger pot. So um, it's just going to, it's a roll of the dice with them. There's not really, you know, there's no okay. really. This is
13: in a pot. Well, and I have because you know I've listened to your show a lot, and uh-huh. I thought, well, sure, I can put it in a pot. Mike puts stuff in pots, so. Right. I did it, and it it looks really good for a long time. But I really think the rain really did a number on it. So, um, okay, well, there, you know, there's still some green growth and some fresh buds. Oh, good. But there's there's dried up bran- you know, branches. I, should I cut those off?
3: Yeah, anything that has lost the needles, or the needles have turned brown, cut those off.
13: Okay, and I usually stick my finger in that soil, and I don't water it unless it's Um, dry three inches down. Perfect. So, and then I'm leaving it, and it gets a lot of morning
3: sun. Perfect. That sounds good.
13: Oh, and one other thing. When I was um, trying to aerate the soil a little bit, I found these little white bugs that kind of look like, you know what thousand-leggers look like. That's what people call them. Um, But they're smaller. They're shorter, and they're really white. And there were like, I found about five of those in there Hmm. in the soil. You mean in the, um,
3: in the mix with the uh, of, of Alberta spruce. spruce? Yeah, yeah. I don't know exactly what insect that is, but uh, as long as you got rid of them, then you're fine.
13: I hope I did. So <laughs> okay. Oh, and one other quick question. I also have really beautiful iris, and they were also got really soaked this uh, spring. Right. And it looked to me like they had a fungus on them, so I thought, well, I'm going to cut back the uh what they call the rhizome above the soil um where it feels squishy so i did that i pruned it back um one's doing one little rhizome is doing really good and it has new growth already coming out of where i cut it and i just haven't watered them in fact i thought this last rain might have been enough water for them for a while because they really got wet too
3: well if you have the you know the iris the typical flags you're growing in, a, you know, in the soil, then they should not have any additional watering by you at all. They should be able oh. to handle it. And if that tuber or rhizome, as you're calling it, is soft, that usually means that it's headed downhill, is rotting.
13: Right. Well, part of it was the okay. end of it. So okay. I cut it off up to where I felt tissue that was hard, you know, that seemed healthy. Right. So
3: just don't do any watering to it at all. Okay, and no fertilizing? Uh, they really don't need a lot of fertilizer. You can fertilize them, but do it in the springtime as the foliage is coming up, and then stop fertilizing once f- they finish flowering. Fertilize okay. about once a month.
13: Okay, so pretty much, I probably shouldn't fertilize them for a while, it sounds like.
3: No, not f- because they're really headed towards sleep, even though it's not right. really obvious.
13: And is all-purpose fertilizer okay for those?
3: Yeah, for the most part, yes.
13: Okay, and one other question. If the spruce starts looking up, looking better, I was thinking about putting it in the ground in a good location, Um, but not till the fall, right, because it's too hot to transplant
3: anything. Correct. So not until we get into late August, early September, all the way up until Thanksgiving, sometime in that time range.
13: Okay, and just to put it, if I do transplant it from, you know, to a different pot or the ground, use a, uh, a soil that will drain well.
3: Yes, very much so.
13: So you'd probably recommend a potting mix, right? right, that drains
3: well? Exactly. Okay, all right, sounds good. Well, thanks a lot for the show. I listen every Saturday. Well, great. Well, thanks for calling. And I'm sorry, Pete, John, Bunny, and Stacy, we're not going to be able to get to you until next hour. If you're putting any kind of organic, inorganic, chemical, liquid, granular, or anything onto your landscape, any of your plant material, make sure that you read and understand the label first before you do it. Because you can cause some real problems by doing something when it's extremely hot. So, Mike Miller, KM West Garden Hotline, we will see you after the news.
2: Now, at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Yes, folks, it is the Garden Hotline tip of the
3: trowel hour. And I'll be giving the tip of the trowel shortly, but right now you can give a call 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. With your ideas, questions, concerns, or comments. And Chris, Pete, John, and Bunny will be getting to you shortly. And, oh, by the way, thanks for having me on your show. We can discuss plant selections, cares for, annuals, bulbs, edibles, ground covers, houseplants, lawns, perennials, roses, shrubs, trees, (laughs) vines, and water gardens. I'll share my thoughts, but please remember my answer, comment, and opinions is not the only garden path to take towards success. James is running the big board, and he answers the phone, so when you call, he just needs your first name. I spend time doing landscape consulting, which I call a walk and talk. Today after the show, I'm headed out to Chesterfield. And so if you'd like for me to come to your home and do a walk and talk, my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com homepage is where my email address and phone number are listed. The tip of the trowel is a special recognition for individual group or situation that has made an impression on me and is brought to you by St. Louis Composting. 636-861-3344. 636-861-3344. Tip of the trial goes out. As angry as I get at these guys, Spire. They are in so many different neighborhoods, improving gas lines and things like that. My grandfather, who has been passed away a long time ago, he came to St. Louis to work for LaClee Gas. He probably did some of the original gas lines that Spire is getting rid of because they are (laughs) pretty darn old. But uh, the Warner, the school that I was at uh, this morning for my Good Gardening stroll, uh, Spire was right across the street, and they've already been down part of our neighborhood. Luckily, we've already got our meter and gas line and everything changed. Some of our neighbors haven't. So I don't know exactly how they rotate this thing, and I don't know how many people work for Spire, but there are thousands I mean, it's just absolutely unbelievable. So a tip of the trial goes out to Spire for getting our gas lines put together and uh, back in good shape. So anyway, tip of the trial goes there. So uh, if you do have questions or concerns, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Let's head over to Pete's yard. Hi, Pete. Good morning. Hi
6: morning. Mike. Right. Uh, I had a question about a boxwood. Uh, I have... Three of them, they're probably about 20 years old, maybe three to four feet in size. And uh, one of them, about two, three weeks ago, started getting a brown patch on it and trying to figure out what was going on there.
3: If it's just a single branch, who knows? I mean, it could be, you know, it's just difficult to, you know, figure out. Just so the whole thing's not discoloring or something like that, any of it, the, the foliage has, you know, if the leaves are totally brown, just go ahead and cut it out.
6: Okay. And you don't think there's any insect or anything that's attacking it?
3: No, nothing that's going okay. to cause just one branch to go brown like that. So it was something physical, you know, whatever, who knows? That would be my guess. Physical more so than anything else. I mean, you can look at the, the branches that are rounded, that are green, and see if you see anything at all. But my guess is it's something physical.
11: All right. Well, thank you.
3: Sure. My pleasure. And now mm-hmm. let's go over to Bunny's yard. Hi, Bunny. Hi,
8: Mike. Hi. I have a very large peony bush. And, of course, it bloomed already. It, it was beautiful. But now I wonder if I could cut it back a little because it's crowding out some other flowers that I have trying to bloom.
3: Uh, basically, cut the spent flower off of it and get something like, a, and for the future, a peony ring to hold it you know, upright. But uh, uh-huh. for the most part... If uh, I wouldn't cut it back too much because that foliage is building up the energy for next year's flowers. So if you start reducing the amount of leaves on it, then consequently next year's flowery may not be as robust as what this year's was.
8: Oh, it's on the leaves because um, I mean I always wait till it turns to brown before I cut it back. Okay. But there's these long stems. They look like pods on the end of it. That's not the seed.
3: That, yeah, that's where the... So you're saying that's not where the flower was? Yeah, it's
8: where the flower was.
3: Yeah, you can Down cut the, that off, but just okay. l- leave the foliage.
8: No, the leaf. Okay, great. Okay. And another thing, I have these... Um, I, they're a few years old, and they were lilac, I thought. They smelled like lilacs. They're little bushes. And I haven't had any lilacs. For years, a couple of years anyway. This year there were a couple little sprigs, that's all. I don't know what I'm doing wrong. I cut it back a couple of years ago down because it was, in the winter they're just like sticks. It's real bare, so I don't know what to do. Should I take it out? Is it not going to do anything? Should I
3: leave the green foliage? Or well, I don't know. Basically, you know, if you start cutting lilacs off, you should put them in a location where you don't. You aren't tempted to prune. And if they're smaller, there are dwarf lilacs. There are smaller ones versus the standard one that everybody understands that can get eight feet high and you know, continue yeah. to put off stems. But uh, just don't prune it. Leave it alone, and that's the best thing you can do for it.
8: Oh, don't prune it at all? No. So I guess that's what happened. I pruned it, and then it hasn't flowered. Okay. Right.
3: So you could so set it back it by doing that. So, what you can do is if it finishes flowering and you don't want to look at the spent flowers, you can cut the flower stem off, but don't cut any other stems. Leave all the leaves on there as you know, don't fool with it.
8: Yeah, some of it is on my sidewalk. I'm going to have to probably trim that part.
3: Right, either that or. Yeah, either
8: that or what?
3: Yeah, Yeah, consider moving it too if it's overgrowing a location. A lot of times people don't plan on, you know, having success as far as the plant's growing, and then consequently they overgrow a space, and then the, it's what you're experiencing. It causes trouble. Oh,
8: I see. And there are several plants. I mean, I don't know. Maybe I should bring, you know, move them to somewhere else. I don't know. But the idea is not to prune them.
3: Right. They want to so be left so alone. Cut it back. Okay. Thank you very much. Sure, my pleasure. And then another thing about lilacs, too, is lilacs like an alkaline soil. So in other words, don't plant lilacs and azaleas in close proximity because one wants an acidic soil, one wants an alkaline soil, and then to have those two things in close proximity is very difficult to do. So just keep that in mind, too. Did
8: I fertilize it in the spring or
3: something? I uh, fertilize it basically when the leaves start coming out and then stop fertilizing, fertilize it about once a month, and uh, basically when it finishes flowering, no more fertilizer after that.
8: Okay, but once a month, fertilize it. Right. Okay. Any particular fertilizer? or
3: Just a general all-purpose fertilizer.
8: Okay, that's
3: wonderful. Thank you so much. Sure, my pleasure. Mike Miller, KMOS Garden Hotline, back after these messages.
2: Worker the play. KMOX is right there with you. We go where you go.
3: Yes, let's head over to John Jar. John, how are you today?
4: Good. Uh, I live in your old neighborhood off Hutchinson, Mike. Oh, really? And, wow. Uh, yeah, on yeah, um, Westfield. Anyway, um, I got a... Um, uh, ash tree and it's about 25 years old It's showing some signs Of dying on one side And I was trying to analyze it uh, Unfortunately I'm not an expert like you But anyway um, I'm getting these yucca plants That popped up all around it And my question is Do those yucca plants Will they suck up all the land You know the uh, wetness of the soil That could be causing it to die
3: No No that's not, you know, not, you know, the ash, something's happened to the ash tree, you know, emerald ash borer or something else that's causing your your branches to die. But the yuccas are not causing it.
4: Okay. Okay. Because I don't know how these yuccas popped up, but they're kind of aggravating because
3: uh,
4: <laughs> I, I like them in you know, certain aspects, you know, in different locations, but not right. where they're, they're located. So I'm probably going to yank them out regardless. Well, but just, uh, anyway.
3: Yeah, realize um, that they have a pretty deep tap root, and you start digging them around. If they're right up next to the you know the trunk of the uh, the right. ash tree, you can do some damage to those you know the the structural aspects of the tree as it's going into the ground.
4: Right. Well, I, it was wet enough the other night from that heavy rain that uh, I was able to yesterday just pull them out by hand. Believe Whoa. it or not, of course, not getting the you know entire root, but right. at least uh, get, getting rid of the the worst of them. So, okay. Well, I think that's all I got. I I certainly appreciate your show.
3: Well, thanks. Thanks for having me on your show. And now let's head over to Chris's yard. Hi, Chris.
5: Hey, Mike, how's it going, bud? Very good. Um, Good. Hey, um, I had a question for you. I have a pretty large pile of horse manure slash uh, shaving. And I also have a large pile of dirt. And I have a bunch of ruts in my um, pasture that I've been trying to figure out how to flatten and stuff. I've tried all kinds of stuff, like uh, using a cultivator behind the tractor and digging it up and then trying to flatten it out with a drag and different things. The other day, I was just taking some of the manure and the dirt and mixing it together and putting it out there. But I I started thinking, it's like, is there... I was doing it at a one to one ratio, one bucket of dirt and one bucket of manure. Is there a better ratio that I might use or that'll help it to kinda um, be more stable and that kind of thing?
3: Well basically just
5: trying to figure it out.
3: Yeah, it sounds like you can't just take what you're talking about and put it into the ruts in your field because if you don't blend it with the existing soil, it's just gonna migrate away and you're gonna end up with these ruts maybe not exactly the same but they're going to be very similar to what you have and w- one bucket to one bucket that seems a little bit extreme as far as the manure goes but what you need to do is you know mix the manure with the soil together and leave it sit for a while and then if you're going to try to use it to you know improve the the topography of your fields or whatever again you got to mix it in with the existing soil if you don't then it's not going to do a bit of good Okay, and I
5: misspoke because basically what I wound up doing is using the cultivator again and the drag and making it kind of – there was a lot of loose dirt, the existing dirt, and then I was putting this in with it and then dragging over it again and rolling it to try to flatten it. So I may – you know, but but you were saying my ratio is too high. I probably should do, what, 2 to 1 or 3 to 1 Yeah, exactly. Mix them? Okay for dirt to, to manure. All right, great. Hey, thanks, bud. Have sure. a good day. Yeah, my pleasure.
3: And uh, probably if, you know, I mean, just realize maybe do a sample of what you know, what you're anticipating and then get that sample soil tested and find out exactly what's in that what you're trying to blend because it may not help your, you know, your field circumstance at all other than physical aspects of it. So, what I don't know what you're trying to grow in the field or anything else, but You know, if you're going to be thorough and it sounds like you've been working on this for a while, get a soil test done of the stuff you want to mix in with your existing soil.
5: Okay. Sounds great.
3: Thanks a bunch. Sure. My pleasure. And now let's go over to Linda's yard. Hi, Linda. Hi, Mike. Thank you for
8: taking our call. Um, We had a a lightning strike uh, yesterday morning on a great big oak tree right in the back of our house. Um, How... Soon will we know if it did damage. We can't see any physical damage, and the leaves are still pretty good. So the only thing is it's covered with galls. <laughs> and we, we had a, a gall storm instead of a hailstorm. <laughs> so anyway, but we, we need to know what can we do to help the tree if it looks like it's going to, you know, survive this.
3: Uh, There's not really a whole lot you can do. What you're going to see is if the lightning strike did some major damage, you're going to see a split in the trunk. Yeah, we don't see that. Yeah, well, it's a little bit early. It's a little premature. So if the lightning strike was yesterday, you're going to have to wait for a little while before it's actually going to start showing up. So in other words, it's Uh. not like a firecracker explosion or something. So even Mm -hmm. though it sounds like it and you think it is, that's not how the damage is damage could take a while before it's gonna be actually visible. visible.
8: Okay, okay. so we won't see leaves
3: curling or anything right away. Not necessarily no. I mean, the heat's okay. gonna cause some of that, but uh, it's gonna I mean it's gonna the, the damage is gonna be a little while before it's gonna be real obvious. Okay, so if by okay. by the time we get towards the end of summer, If you're not seeing anything by then, then even though the lightning strike seemed like it hit the tree and did damage, then the damage was, you know, somewhat minimal.
8: Okay. Well, right at the base of the tree, a couple feet out from the tree, um, it blew the dirt away
15: from the roots.
8: Wow. Um, And it, (laughs) I mean, there's dirt clots 12 feet away from the tree. Oh, you're kidding. No, no. No, it just blew it right out of the, blew the dirt off the roots. So should we cover those back up with the dirt?
3: Yeah, I mean, just move it back just because you just don't want it all over the place. But yeah, I mean, what it does is it electrifies the sap of the tree. So, I mean, it went down and you may end up with some major, you know, problems with this tree besides the galls. Oh,
8: okay. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, we'll keep watching it.
3: Yeah. What you can do is like have Timberline Professional Tree Service come out and take a look because they can determine if they know where to look and, you know, what the damage is going to be, you know, physically is going to be even maybe early as opposed to waiting. Uh Okay. Okay. All right. Well, thank you very much. Sure. My pleasure. And now let's see, where should we go? Let's go over to Paul's yard. Hi, Paul.
11: Howdy! Hi. I got a, appreciate uh, taking my call. Uh, I've got a long-standing problem with some very nasty broadleaf weeds that the uh, regular weed killer has absolutely no effect on. Hello?
3: Yes, uh-huh.
11: Oh, okay, I'm sorry. Uh, it's a broadleaf weed, a low-lying one. And, uh, like I said, it's been going on, and there's absolutely nothing that seems to get rid of it.
3: So you don't, know, weed you don't know what this is, weed actually is?
11: I don't. Uh, nobody I've, I've talked to knows what it is. It's about a uh, about a size of a silver dollar, uh, and it's uh, ground-hugging uh, just barely above the grass level.
3: So is it, uh, is it evergreen, or is it in the wintertime and it goes away? Uh, it's no.
11: It's oh, in the winter time. It, it it dies out, but it comes back. Okay. It's it's like I said. It's a, it's about the size of the silver dollar, a little bit smaller. Yeah. And uh, it. Oh, go ahead.
3: Oh, I was going to say, what you need to do is you need to find out what this is, so you can because if you're if you're using like a we begone broadleaf weed killer and it's not killing yeah. it, then you need yeah. to dig up a sample. And take it to the University of Illinois Extension Service because I see you live in Illinois by your phone number, and oh, yeah. get somebody to diagnose exactly what this is, and then that way you're going to know what to, the best approach to go after it would be.
11: Well, yeah, that's this is a long-standing problem, and my neighbors, nobody else uh, knows uh, what the thing is.
3: And everybody's got the same problem
11: uh, on both sides of me, uh, north and south.
3: Yeah. So, I would say find out what this is, or else you're just going to be spinning your wheels.
11: Yeah. Oh, oh like I said, standard standard weed killers have no effect on it. It just laughs at them.
3: Okay. <laughs>
11: <laughs> okay. Thank you much. I'll have to try to identify it, and hopefully, I can find some way to get uh, rid of that darn right. stuff.
3: Because once you get it identified, then you can look at the labels and find out the labels of specific type herbicides if it's going to be effective against that weed.
11: Yeah. Uh, A quick question. Uh, If it's a broadleaf weed, is there a a general uh, broadleaf weed killer?
3: Yeah. I mean, simply like weed be gone is going to be one that's going to, you know, or is effective.
11: Uh, We'd be gone to get a, uh, the weed. Also laughs at it. Oh well, I'll keep fighting with it.
3: Yeah. So I mean, there's going to be others. There's stronger, you know, weed broadleaf weed killers than the the classic weed be gone, which is readily available. But uh, find out what it is first and go from there.
11: Okay, that's the best suggestion I've got so far.
3: All right, great. Have yeah. a good day. Yep. So dig up like about a you know a six or eight inch square of this plant and then take it to the extension office and let them tell you what what it is because they should know. Mike Miller, Watch Garden Hotline, back after these messages.
7: After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medella is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste because you know the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor, You are a fighter, and Medella is your reward. Medella, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly, beer imported by Crown Import Chicago, Illinois.
2: KMOX is Cardinals Radio. Tonight, it's the Cards and Red Sox.
11: Amron Pregame Show 520, First Pitch 615 on KMOX and streaming on KMOX.com.
3: Yes, folks, we got phone lines open, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Let's head over to Don's yard. Hi, Don.
16: Uh, good morning, Mike. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. Uh, the question I have, uh, about 10, 12 years ago, we planted a tree in our backyard. I think they call it a choke cherry. We love it. It's a beautiful tree. Uh, but the thing is, around the base of it, around the, uh, on the, on the, around the base of it on the ground, I have, I'll call them suckers or something. They continually come up. I, I pluck them. I weed whack them out. I don't try to hit the truck of the tree. I enjoy that as, as much as possible. But they're continually growing up. Is there something I can do about that? Uh, I mean, I think they're coming from the source of it had to be from the tree. I'm just curious about that.
3: Yeah, basically what this is is your tree is basically the root system and the above-ground growth are two different plants. And so consequently, okay. they're attached together, but the root system is putting out this sucker growth. And so there's not really anything you can do other than just continually, as they come up, just cut them off. Then that's the best thing you can do. You don't want to put any kind of herbicide on them. You don't want to do anything at all because you could damage the root system of the plant just kind of in general.
16: Yeah, that, that's what I was concerned about. I. I I was tempted to try to spray something on it, and I said, "No, I think that might do something to the tree." Right,
3: especially if it's a systemic. I mean, if you just spray something that's not a systemic, it could kill the above ground growth, but you're still going to have to cut it off anyway. So you might as well just, you know, just routinely. If you really like this choke cherry and you're happy with it, and you, you, this is just going to be part of the routine. Okay. I got it. It's,
16: it's, it's not, it's just a little bit of a bother. It's not the end of the world. So I, I can do that.
3: <laughs> You're a realist. <laughs>
16: <laughs> Plus it
3: gets me outside a little bit. So. Yep. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you. Appreciate it. Sure. My pleasure. Appreciate your show. And now let's go over to Steve's yard. Hi, Steve.
7: Hi. Um, I've got a question related to tree trimming, two questions. And uh, you may have answered them in previous uh, calls, but I've, wasn't listening at the right time uh these green giant arbor i planted about seven of them along uh my yard for some uh privacy Mm -hmm. they were about six foot tall at the time they're probably now more like 10 foot tall uh what can i do to kind of shape them and keep them from overgrowing and then also a river birch that is doing so well it's it's growing pretty big and i wish i could Keep that one under control. Any tips on trimming those two kinds of trees and when to do it and how much to trim?
3: Basically, with the arborvitae, there's nothing you can do. You start pruning on it, and you're going to mess it up. And if they're only 10 feet high, you are looking at a very immature size one. I've been to homes that they're 30-plus feet. And, you know, at ground level, they're probably 8 to 10 to 12 feet, you know, in diameter. So they're going to get huge. That's why they're called Green Giant. And pruning Sorry. them, you can't do anything. You can't shorten them. You start pruning them in the perimeter to keep them from getting so wide, and that's going to really aesthetically ruin them. I mean, it won't necessarily kill them, but it's going to make it so the perimeter is going to have brown, let's say, streaks because of where you pruned it. And the river okay. birds are pretty much the same thing. They're very aggressive. They, I mean, they get huge. They have an extensive root system, and there's nothing you can do to prevent, you know, the growth for the most part. It's just, you know, doing a little bit of research before, you know, installing something to realize that, uh, you know, this thing could get a lot much or get very much bigger than what I, you know, I need in this location.
7: Okay. Well, maybe just a bad choice on my part. Right. Thank you.
3: Sure. Yeah, it's an unfortunate circumstance because of in the retail circumstance they don't really tell you or they don't ask you, do you know where you're gonna put this and what you know, what impact is gonna have on your landscape just in general. So good luck with that, Steve, and let's go to Jean's Hi, Jean. Hi. I have a knockout rose that something has I the only thing
8: I found on it at one leaf that was a little bitty tiny green worm, but they've just made the, the leaves lacy. I've got new growth coming out, and they're starting in on that. Can I just cut that back?
3: You can cut it back, or you can <laughs> – if you want to apply an insecticide, just make sure you spray on the underside of leaf. You spray early in the morning or later in the day, not in the heat of the day. Well, I've tried that, but they're, they're just all over the bush. Oh. Well, yeah. if you prune them, you're not necessarily going to get rid of them because they could be way down lower on the stems too, and there could be eggs in there. So, I mean, you could go ahead and do it and see if it'll help you, but uh, the chances of it uh, eradicating the problem is going to be minimal.
8: So if I prune it and then keep spraying it, would that help?
3: Yeah, definitely. And, you know, everybody always waits until you see the problem for sure. And what you can do is go to your favorite garden center and get a systemic, S-Y-S-T-E-M-I-C, systemic insecticide. And what that is is an insecticide that you put on the ground and you water it in and it's absorbed up by the root system of the rose. It goes up through the vascular system and ends up in the leaves of the rose. And then if anything feeds on it, it kills them because it's got the poison in it. Okay. Could you spell that again, please? S-Y-S-T-E-M-I-C. Systemic. And that's just a type of uh insecticide i mean there's many there's a lot of different companies that make systemic type insecticide systemic just means it goes inside the plant it's just not something you spray on the outside leaves okay all righty thank you sure my pleasure yeah that's a real heartache and a real hassle another thing uh 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120 we have phone lines open if you have a cool season lawn like a fescue or a bluegrass, don't fertilize during the summertime. They're, they're cool season, that means they don't necessarily like the heat of the summertime. So, consequently, if you try to force some growth or you, because you don't like what it looks like, or you got this or that or whatever it is, fertilizing is the worst thing you can possibly do. Now, if you've got a warm season grass like Zoiza, then you are fertilizing during the heat of the summertime. So I've already done one fertilizing with my on my zoysia, and I'm going to be doing another one within the next week or so. But c- truly, just don't fertilize cool season lawns this time of year. So if you have a lawn service that says they're do, you know they want to fertilize, I kind of really wonder why they want to do it during the the heat. And so if you start to see brown patches. It's difficult to know exactly what's causing those brown patches. My, my zoysia has some brown patches in it right now. And that's because I had an invasive amount of broadleaf weeds, and I just went after it with a weed killer. So there's lots of different kinds of problems. Also, with your if you're doing the mowing yourself, realize that take your mower blade off and take it someplace and have them sharpen because a dull mower blade, it will cut but it could make the top of the blade that you've cut off that's still attached to the plant uh, ragged, and that makes it a little bit more prone to fungus problems, whether it's a cool-season lawn, warm-season lawn. So this is a physical problem that you have to be very conscious and cautious about. And what type of fertilizer should you use on your warm-season lawn? What you need to do is get a soil test done. That's the best thing you can possibly do. I've had soil tests done a few years ago, and what I found that I don't have an extreme level of anything, so I can just continue to use the normal type. What I use is a liquid feed, and that the nutrient level is works perfectly with what my soil test indicated. But if you've been doing the same fertilizing on your lawn for multiple years, and what can happen is you can get extreme levels of some of the nutrients, which are part of the fertilizer which are actually having a bad adverse impact on your lawn just kind of in general. So let's go over to Rose's yard. Hi, Rose.
13: Hi. Hi. How are you? Very good. I, <laughs> I'm drowning. I am drowning in these violets. I have no idea what to do to control these things. It's like they came overnight and they're just everywhere. <laughs> so I don't know. I went out there and I poured, literally poured some of the weed killer on some. I mean, it like deadens the little bit of the edge of the leaf, and I, I had doing it, so. I'm not sure what else to do, except burn my lawn, maybe.
3: <laughs> That's not necessarily going to kill them because of the because I the know, rusa. But anyway, so you're going to do the systemic thing. Okay, I'm sorry. Go on. Yeah, just, I mean, you're going to have to get, uh, you know, an herbicide, a broadleaf weed killer that specifically says it controls violets. So you got to go to your okay. favorite garden center and do that. And just be very okay. cautious about putting any kind of herbicide down in the hot part of the year like this is because it could do some damage to the, the lawn that is there that the violets are growing in. So just be real super cautious about – read the label in relationship to do not apply, you know, if tem- air temperatures are above this, you know, this level or mm-hmm, whatever it happens mm-hmm. to be. Yes, yes. So it's all a, right, yeah. all right. Oh, gosh. I've never seen any flowers. Yeah, it's going to be a multiple-year process if you've got a whole yard full of violets.
13: I know. I I, I totally understand, and I didn't think I would mind it because my goal was to get rid of all my grass anyway. You came here a couple times in in Columbia and had a design. You you made out a design for me, and um, it was a whole idea of getting rid of all my lawn. Well, the lawn that I do have left is just coming up more and more with these violets. So I'm not big-time concerned, you know, because we have like 20 trees.
3: So, well, thank you so much. Sure, my pleasure. And thanks for having me over. And Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages.
2: This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. folks, 314-436-7900 or one
3: 800 925 We still have a few minutes and some phone lines open. Let's head over to Sue's yard. Hi, Sue. Hey, Mike. Uh, let
8: me ask you a question. Sure. Uh, I love your show. And uh, uh, my daughter moved in out in Washington, Missouri, and they had the sod put down the, in December last year. And uh, it, it's going good. It's, it's not a problem Um uh, But there's some gaps in between the um, the sod, you know, like they didn't put it up, you know, close enough to eat, you know, the pieces, you know. Right. And so uh, can can I, what kind of dirt can I put in there to kind of fill that in so she doesn't, you know, twist an ankle or something when she's
3: out there? I'd probably do a combination of topsoil compost blend. Okay. But, okay. I, you know, I just wouldn't, put, you know, lay it in there. I'd work that spot up a little bit with a hand, you know, a hand trowel or a fork or something. Uh-huh. And then, you know, then add the new stuff in with the existing soil that has been churned slightly up.
8: Okay. And then uh, I, I guess uh, I know the answer to this, but, you know, the gentleman that has the ruts in the pasture or whatever uh uh, I'm on a slight hill, and I had sod put down about about four years ago in the, you know, the dug up everything and had sod laid. Uh, and through the uh, years, because it's on a hill, I'm getting some water uh, runoff, and it's going around the, uh, the root of the, uh, you know, the clumps, the little clumps of the dirt test you, whatever, through uh, Um Now, can I just throw dirt down there and kind of rake it level?
3: Well, if I'm you just no. throw it on top of it, it's not going to stick necessarily. Uh-huh. So that's why things have to be blended. So either core aerate, you know, have it core aerated, and then put some kind of top dressing on it through, you know, through oh, okay. everything as opposed to just trying to throw something and hope it's going to stay there. Because if it's on a hill, it's not going to, there's no way that it's adhesive to what the existing things is, and it's just going to end up at the bottom of the hill.
8: Okay, so so core core, whatever that word is, I know. Um, So Do that, right? Yeah, right. I I, I've had it done. I've had it done. So do that, and then I could spread the uh, right some dirt on it.
3: And I probably again do not do the core aeration when it's this hot. Wait, you know? Oh no, no, no! I'll do
8: it. I'll do it in the fall.
3: Okay, great.
8: Okay,
3: thanks, Mike. Love you. Sure. Thank you. And now let's head over to Jan's. Hi, Jan.
17: Um, hi, Mike. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um The call that you just received on the knockout roses and the little green worms, I have many of those too. And I've heard that they were something called sawflies. And on all of the remedies that I've seen, none of them seem like they would work for me because there are so many and my roses are so big. So when you recommended the systemic approach, that sounds like a good thing to do. So is that something, do you think we could do that in the heat, and would it interfere with my monthly fertilizing that no, I do?
3: It shouldn't interfere with anything. And the reason why you can do it with the heat is because you're not putting it on the foliage. So you're okay. putting it into the ground. Pull your mulch back if you have mulch around them. Then right. put the systemic mm-hmm. down, then water it, and then put the mulch back. And then do I need to wait to
17: fertilize a week or anything or worry about that? Well, I wouldn't do I it immediately.
3: A, so, yeah, okay. I'd wait for a few days or a week or something before you fertilize. And okay. that's use, not going to throw the sequence off too much.
17: Okay. So I use a granular, supposedly organic fertilizer anyway. But it has it has really good results, But except for these. And, and apparently they come out of the ground and everything, so you have to... Sounds like they're really hard to get rid of once you get them. So.
15: <laughs> yeah, a lot oh, anyway. of that stuff
3: is. And the, I'm just yeah. waiting for the Japanese beetles to show up because they really right. do some major damage to roses.
17: Well, they did that to me last year, and right. I ignored what everyone said about not getting the cat the traps, and I got the traps, but I have not seen them this year Yeah, yet, so I don't know what's going on there.
3: I haven't seen them yet either, so I don't know. Hmm. It's maybe just a little bit early. Okay. All right. Well, thank you very much, Mike. I appreciate it. Sure. My pleasure. Yeah. With like the Japanese beetles, the larvae, you know, I mean, it's just a whole process. So it's just it seems like it's a little bit off, but uh, that's just kind of the way it goes. No year is going to be the same one as previously or anything else. Let's head over to Barb's yard now. Hi, Barb. Hello, Barb. Hi, Mike. Hi.
8: I was wondering about my knockout roses. I have had one big bloom, a profusion of flowers, and now they're starting to die out. Do I trim those back now, or just let them go and let them go
3: for the next bloom? Well, I would, you know, cut the spent flowers off. That'll just help them a little bit. You know, cut them back to the second leaflet. If it, they're big and you, there's too much work to cut them, then just leave them alone.
8: Okay. Okay, I have a
3: lot.
8: So really, uh, they, were, they were gorgeous this
3: year, the first bloom. Oh, so. They definitely were. Okay, thank you. Well, thanks. My pleasure. And, you know, everybody's yard going to be different because, uh, I mean, just like the lady that talked about the uh, the storm and everything else, lightning hitting your house. Let's go over. we got one more call. Maybe we can get in. Wait just one second. We're trying to get her name. Is it Karen? And Karen, how are you?
15: I'm fine. I was listening about the man who had that broadleaf weed that was like the size of a silver dollar. Right. And I think it sounds like ground ivy, and crossbow is the only thing I have found to kill it.
3: Okay. Well, that sounds
15: good. If it stinks really bad when you cut it, it's ground ivy.
3: Right. But
15: the leaves are like a silver dollar round... So that's what I think it
3: is. Well, great. Well, thanks for the insight. I mean, that's very helpful. Yeah, I can't even guess, you know, a lot of times because uh, without seeing it or anything else. And um, and anyway, I appreciate you calling in. So what was the product that you said was effective against it?
15: Crossbow.
3: Crossbow.
15: And it's also good on getting rid of the bush honeysuckle. Oh, really? Asian honeysuckle. Yeah, you cut it back and then paint it on those leaves. My neighbor says mix it with kerosene first, but, you know, he's 80. <laughs> <Whoa>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I think that crossbow is the only thing, and it stinks really bad when you mow it, so you know it's ground ivy.
3: <laughs> well, great. Well, thanks, Karen. Thanks for calling okay, in here at the last bye. second. Okay. So everybody, just be careful to the heat and everything else, not for just your plant material, but for yourself as well. And uh, enjoy this uh, last few days of spring. (laughs) Let's see what summer's like.
1: (sighs) Spring is a time of renewal. So why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too.